Hi, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm your host, Edward Russell, and I'm joined by my colleague, Madhu Unikrishnan. This week, we talk about Wizair's results and uh, you know what they're looking forward to in the Middle East, Europe's uh, potential new sustainable aviation fuel mandate, and the latest turn in the JetBlue, Spirit Airlines, Frontier Airlines sort of bidding war. Hope you enjoy. Hey, Madhu, how are you doing today? I'm good, Ned. I'm good. But I got a little bit of news. You know, all good things have got to come to an end, Ned. Um, after more than 150 episodes of the Airline Weekly Lounge, it's time for me to hang up my podcast mic and, and call it a day as I pursue a new opportunity outside of Skifted Airline Weekly and, in fact, outside of the airline industry. So dr- coming to an end of almost of about 20 years of either covering the airline industry or working for airlines. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of a big change for me. It sounds like it, Madhu. Well, we are certainly going to miss you here on the Airline Weekly Lounge as well as at Airline Weekly and Skift. I personally can say that it's been a pleasure working with you and uh, joining you on this podcast on a daily basis. I think our readers will miss our banter and definitely the commentary on spokes critters out there, which we will we will be lacking once you go. That is clearly why everyone comes. Well, yeah, but, uh, and it's. Uh, it's Thank you, Ned. I mean, speaking of critters, I mean, I will never forget the live stream I did during the depths of the pandemic in 2020, which was subsequently broadcast as an airline weekly lounge or podcast as an airline weekly lounge when my two cats got into the noisiest cat fight behind me. And um, my guest at the time was Jay Shabbat, the former editor of Airline Weekly. And uh, there was all this hissing and clawing and meowing. So, uh, you know, I have my own spokes critters and they're coming along with me to my new job. Well, we will miss them and uh, their hijinks during the podcast, for sure. But, you know, with that said, we got a podcast to do. (laughs) Sorry, Dad. Oh, that's right. A podcast. We got a podcast to do. We can't keep talking about me. So so let's let's get into it. Let's talk about Wizard. We will miss you, (laughs) Thanks, Ned. Thank you. Um, I I don't know how our listeners will. They're probably popping champagne even as we speak. But let's talk about Wizz Air. Ah, doubtful. <laughs> yes. Let's go on to Wizz Air, a European low-cost juggernaut. What uh, what did they report, Madhu? So, um, you know, we, we've talked about Wizz Air before, and um, we've talked about their bullish, capa- their very optimistic capacity plans. And those are roughly unchanged. I mean, by the second quarter of their financial year, which starts, you know, we're in the first quarter of their fiscal year now. Uh, they expect you know capacity to be about one hundred and forty percent of twenty nineteen capacity, and that's a function so that's, of. You know, sorry, that's the on. September. That's the September quarter. Yeah, July, August. Okay, right. And in, in the summer, they're expecting. Um, just now, they're expecting capacity to be about thirty percent higher than it was in twenty nineteen. Um, and you know, as we've discussed, that's a function of their. They've added a bunch of airplanes during the pandemic, and so they have they're a bigger fleet than they than a bigger and larger gauge fleet as they focus right. on three twenty ones than they were at the start of the pandemic. So, um, so yeah, this is they're pretty excited. But you know, Ned, what I really found interesting was it's what we were we've been saying about demand and. The pent-up summer demand. I mean, Wiz fully expects revenues to be um, much higher than they were in 2019. Um, Did they give a, a number about how much higher they expect? Yeah, they well, they 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 expect fares actually. Well, they didn't actually give revenue guidance because okay, 
because they're they're because of fuel prices and geopolitical concerns they're not guiding for this year but they did say that in the first and second quarters of the fiscal years they expect fares to be fares to be 160% higher um wow than 2019 yeah yeah that's so, impressive so I, I just for our listeners sake i mean a lot of the comparisons that i've seen in terms of fares this year versus 2019 shows up about a third 30% uh-huh. so um 160% up is massive. It is. It is. And and they're really confident that they'll achieve that goal. And I, here's another thing I found really interesting. Ancillary revenues are 56, 56% of their revenues. I mean, you know, Volaris was pretty excited when it got to like almost 50. So now we've got, you know, for Wiz, it's more than half of their revenues coming from seat selection and other ancillary products. That's really impressive. Now, I wonder how they define the ancillary. So I was looking at Wizz Air for some tickets for some summer travel. And, you know, when you're looking at the, the booking page, you know, it gives you the selection. Do you want the light ticket that basically is nothing? Do you want the medium ticket that gives you one check bag and a check seat and like or the full ticket? And I wonder if 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 when you select anything more than the very basic ticket that something is included in ancillaries or is it only if you add it on? I know that you don't know this. This is just me going on. I wonder how they cut that. That's what I'd like to know because there's no set definition to how ancillary revenues are measured from airline to airline. So That's a really good point. And I wonder if, you know, I, I, I've never flown or even booked anything on Wizz Air. So I, I, I'm, forgive me if I botched the fare classes, but I wonder if when you go up from light to medium or whatever it is, like whether that extra revenue is counted immediately as ancillary. That's what I, I really would love to know. And if anyone knows, if there's anyone who was there revenue planning listening to this, please drop us a line. You can email me at er at skiff.com. Don't email Madhu because he's leaving anyway. I'll be gone. <laughs> <laughs> so what else did, did, did we talk about any of the operational issues that Europe's been, been facing? Is there, yeah. Are they seeing any challenges? Actually, yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, with all the positivity, let me, let me stop for a second and say that, you know, in the last fiscal year, Wiz lost more than 640 million euros. And a roughly 400-ish million of that came from um, just losses from operations not due to ramping up um, capacity from, you know, the depths of the pandemic, st- hiring staff. I mean, they're, they have a thousand more employees now than they did before the pandemic, but also unfavorable Forex, um, foreign exchange rather. Um, so yeah, to answer your questions, they, Wiz, uh, Yosef, Yosef Varadi, I may be mispronouncing his name. I forget. Please forgive me. And don't bother to email me to tell me if I am or not, because I won't be here. Um, <laughs> Yosef Varadi sa- said, um, you know, Wiz is pretty well, as he put it, well stocked. <laughs> he said that three times with cabin crew and flight attendants. I mean, I, I don't know what are the shelves full. You like, cabin what do you, crew and pilots? Pa- cabin yes, crew and pilots yes. Are the same sorry, thing. <laughs> sorry. Cabin crew and and flight deck is what I meant to say. Cra- cabin crew and pilots. And so I guess the shelves are full. They're well stocked. But um, but he said they are seeing in certain airports, and he, he didn't identify where, um, challenges with ground handling staff and airport staff. Uh, in general, and also the air, airport operators have uh, trouble hiring, and that's impacted their on-time performance and um, and just their operations in general. And European ATC air traffic control also is facing hiring challenges. So, 
The airport, the, the the ground staff and airport staff seems to be the common issue uh, discussed at many airlines. You know, I know there are some like EasyJet. I think has had their own issue, their issues with actually their own staff. But right. beyond that, you know, British Airways, Lufthansa, Iberia was telling the other week that they, you know, it's ground staff in, in Amsterdam and London, some of these places that has been, and even KLM had to fly empty planes to Amsterdam over uh, this past weekend, the Pentecost holiday weekend, which I can't remember the dates off the top of my head, uh, because of security issues issues at Sh- Skipple and, and huh. congestion there. But anyway, that's that sounds so it sounds like Wizier reiterated those those issues without saying where they're seeing it. Exactly. Um, d- you know, Varadi did say uh, that uh, th- he said there were some issues in the UK, um, but didn't identify the airport. He did. You know, they're pretty excited about the 15 slot pairs they got at, at Gatwick from Norwegian. Uh, but integrating those has been challenging i believe um so so it's interesting now ned one one thing that i found also interesting is you know we've talked about wizz air's abu dhabi subsidiary which launched in in the middle of the pandemic i believe january of 2021 that's doing really well he's uh he said as um as abu dhabi relaxes its restrictions and has gone back to normal but um Wizzair has signed an MOU with the government of Saudi Arabia to set up a similar operation in that country, um, which Varadi was very excited about. He said it's you know part of Saudi Arabia's uh, move to diversify its economy away from carbon and uh, fossil fuels. And- I- ironically. Setting up an airline I know. is not exactly a decarbonization um, effort, but we will talk about decarbonization later. Anyway, yeah, we on. will. But it's just it's also weird because like how you know how's run an airline that I still don't understand how that's quite diversifying the economy. It's a tool to help diversify the economy, but anyway, whatever you know, you do you. I mean, uh, I, I get it's the larger like selling oil. They want more financial inputs, but um, I find it's interesting because did like Saudi has still has very strict visa rules uh, aside from the pandemic for right. tourists to go, and you know I've been once. It's not a country that's easy to go out and just walk around in. There's a lot right. of rules and everything. So did he talk about how? No, I mean, he didn't address that at all, but he did say, you know, it is a large geographically large country with population centers. Yeah, population centers that are kind of spread out and really no, um, no very good surface options. So, um, you know, that I guess that's where they say they can make some money and, and flying to, you know, near international. From Saudi Arabia, some very, very lucrative markets like the Emirates and Bahrain and, you know, yeah. even, even India, which is within reach of their 321s. Did they give any timeline for when that could happen? No, just said that it, the MOU has been signed and they're moving forward yeah. with that. And that's about it. Um, Interesting. This is interesting because we've got Wizz Air talking about UK and Italy growth a lot in the last few years and, and it's Abu Dhabi and Saudi too. It's like so sort of like bookending their growth on sort of the, the you know, western side of Europe and then to the east in the Gulf. Um, it's, yeah, they're becoming quite this lar- this geographically expansive uh, ULCC network. Yeah. And, you know, there's another interesting thing that Varadi said when he was asked repeatedly about competition with Ryanair, which also has been very strong at coming out in the pandemic. Um, and he said, you know, we'd like to compete with Ryanair. We've been, as he put it, we've been competing with Ryanair forever. 
um, where he sees the competition, where he thinks Wiz Air has a, uh, an in is against the legacy carriers, both in Europe and in the Gulf states. Um, you know, Wiz Air's costs are lower. It's more efficient. He thinks he thinks that those airlines will be running scared, as he put it, rather than Ryanair. Ryanair is just, you know, the two together will dominate Europe is how he seemed to to put it and you know will force uh the legacies in the gulf to to rethink their operations so that was i found that all very interesting yeah they are definitely a dynamic interesting airline anyway madhu let's take a quick break now we'll be right back And we're back, Madhu. How was uh, how was your your several hours long respiratory? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that long break was was great, Ned. It was fantastic. Allowed me to fix my hair. And we like, had a two martini lunch. You yeah, know, it was exactly. Great. It was wonderful. And actually, we yeah. might have. For all you know, you don't know how long. To our listeners, you don't know how long we stopped this recording. Um, but Ned, uh, <laughs> let's go. Let's. We we spoke about carbon earlier. Let's talk about uh, something you've been covering, and that is. A new report out of Europe on sustainable aviation fuel. That's right. So, um, Transport and the Environment, which is an NGO uh, out of Brussels that works with uh, the EU, has a new report. Had a new report out Thursday, uh, pushing the EU to raise their mandates for e-kerosene huh. under the broader umbrella of sustainable avi- aviation fuel. Now. To clarify, e-kerosene is a type of sustainable aviation fuel, fuel SAF, whereas uh, fuels made from used cooking oil or uh, detritus biomass are a different kind of uh, SAF as sort of biofuels. And so they're, they've got a new report out pushing the EU to, to make a 2% mandate by 2030, which they argue will help decarbonize uh, you know, aviation. Um, so I spoke to one of their, their officers, um, Matteo, and I'm blanking on his last name right now, but if you look on airlineweekly.com, you can find uh, the full story. <laughs> if you go to skiff.com, you find the full story. But you know, they, so their argument is they want to make sure that the EU's SAF mandate requires enough truly sustainable fuel. So is huh. it's splitting a little bit of hairs here, but the idea is there's concerns about biofuels uh, competing with foodstuffs for right. or, uh, you know deforestation. So and e-kerosene being entirely synthetic in theory would not be uh, you know not be potentially environmentally not have wait, the same wait, environmental wait. degradation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's pause here. It's entirely synthetic. <laughs> So, so what are they making this stuff out of? So it's made from hydro- green hydrogen and uh, carbon molecules. What so- is green hydrogen? <laughs> I know it's it's very chemistry hasn't changed I- since that much since <laughs> I was in college. I mean, there was only one color of hydrogen back when when I was studying the periodic table. It's of hydrogen elements. that's created from sustainable resources. It's not. It's like it's generated from. I'm you know. So what? Water? What is it made from? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to get back to you, Madhu, on this. <laughs> um, it's it's a bit nebulous exactly what that is, but the the gist is they they want to make sure that. Um, it is, uh, yeah, it's sustainable. So, and this comes as the EU European Parliament is set to vote on on these new refuel EU standards uh, as soon as the end of the month. So, and and the refuel EU is looking to impose a standard of six percent mandate by the end of the decade, 
which would be the sort of highest SAF mandate uh, in the world for for the twenty for the twenty twenty. So the you know it's um. There's definitely a lot of politicking going on. And I, I should say that when the European Parliament votes, it is not done. Then they have, taking from the U.S. example, a conference session between the different branches of government. And the idea is this refuel EU standard would be implemented on January 1st. So even though when they vote, it's not a done deal yet. Wow. So what is green hydrogen? <laughs> Looking. Um so this is different from sustainable aviation fuel, which is created from usually vegetative Using green electricity. Stocks. Yes. Okay. Green hydrogen is generated with green electricity. So the life cycle is near carbon neutral. So like hydrogen that's produced from wind, solar power or wind power or something. Okay. Madhu looks very skeptical right now. Very skeptical. I am skeptical. extremely skeptical, but... You know, once again, I i mean, it's the most common element well, the in the whole, world, I believe. The whole SAF uh, like process is very, very questionable because you there's either SAF that's made from palm oil derivatives that, according to TE, is, is not sustainable because no. palm oil can lead to deforestation. So, yeah. you know, they're arguing that this e-kerosene is more sustainable than using SAF that's derived from palm oil derivatives. So, I mean, it's it's a lot of shades of gray is what it is. Yeah, I mean, that's always been the 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 riddle here with SAF or any actually we shouldn't even limit it to SAF, but any um green or sustainable fuel is creating it uh, the competition the the balancing deforestation and competing with food stock um to to create the the feed for or the 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 mass that's that is used to make uh, sustainable fuels. It's all it's always been no one's quite figured it out. I mean, for a while there was thought of using algae, but then that has its own environmental costs. Jatropha also has some environmental costs and can com- compete with air on for compete for arable land with foodstock. So it's just it's um it I'm I'm really curious about this e kerosene thing and when you uh, you know I'd love you to send me the report Ned so I can see it read it at some point because it's just it's it is fascinating stuff um so that that's great I mean you know this is it's it's interesting also Ned leaving this whatever e-hydrogen may be aside leaving that aside uh, you know SAF has gone from sort of being a a PR thing PR stunt by a lot of airlines that threw a few tablespoons of SAF into and uh, into a fuel tank, a tens of thousand gallon fuel tank, and called it a sustainable flight. It's gone from a PR stunt to actually becoming policy, and that's that's where it needs to go for it to actually be that's implemented. The, I mean, that's the thing with the mandate. I I asked TE what they thought about the mandate, and they're like, I mean, that they said that's really a key part of of building this industry. Now they said, I mean, there needs to be. They support government incentives on the other side to, to develop this industry. But if there's a mandate, companies are going to invest to produce it because airlines know that they're going to need it by 2030s. Because right. we're talking about SF being a fraction of 1% of current fuel use. So going from that to 6% in eight years, considering also SAF production is minimal, I mean, it's a, it's a big leap. So, you know, making it... it the European Union is uh, leading again on climate policy, and none of us are terribly surprised about that. So, right, 
Yeah. And this is this is a point IATA has made clear from the beginning. I mean, that <clears throat> that in order for sustainable aviation fuel to be viable and to compete with cheap, you know, relatively cheaply produced jet fuel, uh, traditional fossil fuel jet fuel, government ha- governments around the world have to get involved. They have to either subsidize it or sponsor the research or, you know, the, the policy has to come into place because the SAF on its own is not going to ever compete with kerosene that is derived yeah. from from fossil fuels because that's easy and cheap and the infrastructure exists. So, Absolutely. Um, so there needs to be more than just mandates. There needs to be incentives, um, government policy that's going to help bring down the cost of SAF, no matter how it's derived. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, let, let's, you know, on our final topic, let's just switch gears a little bit. Uh, we ha- There's a little bit of news, which most of our listeners probably know already, and that is that the Spirit Airlines shareholder meeting scheduled for June 10th has been postponed. To Ned, June 30th. I, I feel like this is the latest. What is it? Is it like the, the turn of the screw or, or something, days of our lives where... It's like sands like, in the hourglass. These are the days of our lives. Ned, you, you, you never watched your stories. I tape them every day. Uh, oh, actually, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> All right. Our listeners have it there. Madhu, every day watches. Anyway. You know, um, I, I gave up latest... on days of our lives when they all started levitating and being possessed and stuff. So I don't watch it as re- religiously as I used to. But no, no. I mean, they were seriously like people were getting possessed on every single episode. It was really weird. But anyway. So, you know, we can change, you can start a new podcast, Madhu, called Days of Our Lives Lounge. But anyway, <laughs> the Spirit Sheryl meeting has been postponed uh, to June 30th, and that came a day after JetBlue, or two days after JetBlue right. announced an improved offer. They upped it by about $170 million to... Thereabouts, yeah. Thereabouts, uh, by... by prepaying part of the breakup fee that they've promised uh and to, they upped the breakup fee as well they did they did yeah. so they're now higher than frontiers breakup so they're 350 million and frontiers breakup fee is 250 million so i mean it really is a bidding war and i i feel like the decision to postpone the meeting well is a sign that i think spirit might be their board might be concerned that yeah. JetBlue could be winning over shareholders hearts but or at least pocketbooks because you know the JetBlue offer is 500 million more in total than Frontier's offer. Yeah. And uh, when you're a shareholder, I mean, ultimately, it's the dollars and cents that you want. So, yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. It'll give the, this move gives Spirit's board, which is very, very um, strongly behind the Frontier bid, some time to, to gather some more support for it or to shore up, you know, failing support. It also right. gives JetBlue, you know, but the more time they they um they delay it, the more by the, which they delay it, the uh, the longer sp- shareholders have to consider the JetBlue offer and how much better financially it is. Absolutely, and that's the other side. I've I've got a running joke. It's uh it's what will JetBlue announce today? Because <laughs> I get some kind of SEC filing or something in my inbox. I almost know. Ev- not almost every day from JetBlue being an internal communication or a modification of the deal or something it's i mean we're being inundated with uh just their case on this deal i mean jet blue is going all in on on trying to buy spirit i don't know if you're a jet blue loyalty member nat are you 
I am, but I haven't used up. Uh, I haven't used my JetBlue loyalty account in years, so. I <laughs> well, <did. laughs> the, the the reason I ask is this surprised me because on my personal email account, I got a a, a letter from from our CEO Robin Hayes about why the JetBlue um, CEO Robin yeah, Hayes. Yeah, JetBlue. Yeah, exactly. I, so this was unusual. I mean, they're now actually just reaching out to customers. You know, not not wow. not even just shareholders. They're reaching out to their customers at a full court press to say why they're doing it and why their deal makes more sense than Frontiers. So they're 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 pulling out all the stops here. They're really going for this. Wow. I mean, and I you know, many have said, I mean, JetBlue really needs this deal more than yeah. Spirit, because JetBlue is a bit hemmed in. More than Frontier in, in you mean. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, JetBlue needs them more than Frontier. Right. Um Though Spirit doesn't need JetBlue, so at least yeah. Anyway, it's um. Well, we've got a couple more weeks, three more weeks of, of merger fun, um, and that's just for the shareholder vote. We haven't even talked about regulatory approval, so yeah. But and I will, course, I will list, listen to the lounge to see what how you guys um, how you approach it. Don't worry, Madhu. I'll drop your personal email in the description so that everyone can can reach out to you once you go. Like hell you will. <laughs> like hell you will. Um, all right, Ned, let's wrap it up here. Uh, well, but once again, I, you know, just finally, I want to say to our, all our listeners, thank you for bearing with me and listening listening to the Airline Weekly Lounge, um, which I inherited from Seth Kaplan and Jason Cottrell more than three years ago. It's been a fun 150 episodes and a wild ride because none of us, when I started this, no one ever saw this pandemic coming. Um, so thanks for sticking with us. And uh, I, I really enjoyed it. And um, I hope you enjoyed this episode, Ned. Thank you, Madhu. It's been a pleasure. And if you need to reach me, feel free to reach out at er at skift.com. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.